Hey, this is David Perkins, pastor of Radiant Church. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. I hope and I pray that the content helps you grow as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to see you at one of our services on Sundays or maybe at our Bold Conference this summer. Remember this, those who look to Him are radiant. Thanks for being here. It's a great day. Happy to be here. Come on, middle of the summer. Let's do this. Um, hey, we're in a series in Acts called For the City, and the vision for the series is to help our eyes get off of us and get onto others. And the temptation in the middle of the season is to look at my money, my concerns, my fears, my pain. And I think one of the best things that we can do this summer is get our eyes on Jesus and get our eyes on others. And so we've decided to take a season uh, looking at some of the themes in Acts. And so we started off and we talked about the power of God uh, in week one, and then we went into unity in week two, and that was fun. We talked about us as a church being unified, and we talked about boldness, uh, then we talked about being witnesses last week, and then today I want to talk about obedience. Everybody say obedience. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's go Acts chapter nine. Our theme verse for this series has been Acts 1-8 which has really been tying it together, which is you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And our vision is to let that sink in all summer so that we're making a difference here in our city and in our Judea, our Samaria and to the ends of the earth, United States and around the world. And so uh, if you've got your Bibles, we're gonna go Acts chapter nine. Let me kind of set this up and then I'll pray. But I love uh, in Acts chapter nine, the famous story about Saul who becomes Paul. It's the great story of conversion. It's the great story of the person who was going the wrong direction and then Jesus appears to him and all of a sudden he turns around and becomes one of the great heroes in the word of God. One of the people that embodies so many characteristics. He's the one that teaches us about justification and sanctification and the return of Jesus. He's the one that goes on three missionary journeys. He's the one that helps us understand so much with big encounters. And so I love Paul and I dove into Paul. I was aiming at taking you into big encounter, repent, go after Jesus. But as I read this story, I know it sounds crazy, but in my own journey, I started to resonate not with Paul this week. I started to resonate with a guy named Ananias. (laughs) And the difference between Paul and Ananias is that Paul has this epic encounter, seems larger than life. And then Ananias, he shows up out of nowhere. We only see him one time. Some of you are thinking, I think we saw him in Acts 5. No, that Ananias died. This is a new Ananias. (laughs) And he shows up. This is the only time that we find him. And yet he's obedient to what Jesus calls him to do. And the world has changed because Ananias said, yes, I don't know what Ananias looks like, but I picture him at about, I don't know, five, six and, you know, anyway. So uh, I just, I don't know. He's kind of like this one hit wonder. It's just like home alone and Macaulay Culkin. Like he shows up once, never see me. I mean, like he just shows up and he does this amazing thing. And as a result of his yes, I mean, Paul goes on to change the world. And, and I just wanted us to lean into this unknown kind of figure today and, and look at 
Where, what could we pull out? What could we see in this hidden hero? What could we see in this unknown Ananias and, uh, and ask God to speak to us? If you've got your Bibles, we're going to actually skip Paul and go straight to verse 10 and talk about Ananias, although Paul still makes the story. All right, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. So he lives in Damascus. There just happens to be a disciple. Interesting word, disciple. He's already said yes to Jesus. Disciple. So he's intentionally following Jesus, even though he's already given a yes, named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. So he's listening to God. He hears God. He gets a vision from God. And he says, look at this great phrase. Yes, Lord. That's it. Yes, Lord. And then the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, Ananias talks back a little bit here. He goes, ay, 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 ay. Lord, Ananias answered. But I love that Lord, because that Lord is like, your Lord, can I get a vote? Can I just, can we talk for a second? And he says, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. So here's in Damascus, he's saying in the city of Jerusalem, that guy saw that you're talking about, he's causing harm. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Jesus, just in case you don't realize this, I am someone who has called on your name. This is a guy who has the authority to have me arrested. Am I hearing you correctly? Jesus, do you still want me to go? Are you calling me to go? Or we got a different Ananias here, different Saul. Is there a little mix up? Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, same word, go. This man, uh, this, can you guys turn the lights up just a little bit? Sorry, I'm having a hard time seeing here. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Sorry, old man. So Ananias, 43, can't see. All right. <laughs> Five, six, almost, with, with heels. All right. Uh, what? Bench press 250. Okay. Uh, I got to get going. There you go. All right. Only eat fruits and vegetables. And, okay. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went. So now he's obedient. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. It's amazing. Brother Saul. Yeah, you're the one who's killing my friends. He calls him brother. Brother Saul, the Lord the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray, Lord, that you would open up the word of God to us. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would see in this humble servant, Ananias, who made a difference in the life of Paul, and Paul made a difference on the planet. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would grow as disciples in Kansas City. And as Ananias was a disciple in Damascus, would we be disciples in Kansas City? As you had someone that you could call upon in Damascus, would you have people that you can call upon in Overland Park and in Leewood and in Grandview and in Shawnee and in Kansas City, across Kansas City? God, we honor you. We love you. And everybody said amen. amen. 
So I was reading this week about an 18-year-old kind of hero of the faith named Rachel Saint. Rachel Saint was the older sister of kind of a famous missionary named Nate Saint. And Rachel Saint had felt God called her to go and reach people in foreign missions in the early 1900s. And Rachel Saint had this lady come to her and say, I want to take you on a big trip to Europe. And she came from a very poor family, seven siblings. And so she goes with this lady on a ship to Europe and she's wined and dined, taken care of, experienced upper class life like she had never experienced. And on the way back from Europe to America, this lady says to her, I don't have any of my own children but I have a big estate and a big fortune. And I would like a comrade, a friend, to travel the world with me in my older years. And if you'll be that person, Rachel, then I will give you all that I have. You'll inherit all of my wealth. And Rachel Saint suddenly had a dilemma. And to this lady's surprise, Rachel didn't give a quick answer. And she said, I'll have to pray about it. And the lady responded and said, okay, but I'd like to know before we get back to the United States. And on the last day, as they were approaching the United States, Rachel went up early in the morning and she went on the deck of the ship. And on the deck of the ship, she could see the shore in the distance. And she just said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And she had a vision, much like we read here. And in the vision, she saw a people group that hadn't heard the gospel and she didn't know where it was, but she knew that Jesus was calling her to be this missionary. And so she went to this lady after falling on her knees on the ship deck and saying, yes, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me. And she declined the wealth and the life of comfort. And she gave her life and she moved down to Ecuador And in Ecuador, she began to intentionally learn the language and try to reach people that had never heard the gospel, but they were famous for being violent, throwing spears. And she felt God had called her to go to one of the most violent people groups. And so Rachel Saint spent all of her life living in Ecuador, making a difference among these people And she died at age 80, and in 1994, she was buried in Ecuador with those people because she spent her life reaching these people. And she never experienced the wealth, but she did experience people coming to faith. She did experience, on the other side of her yes, on the deck of the ship, far more delight than the wealth of the world. And I was just thinking about how challenging it would be to make that yes in your life. Like, think about the challenge to have that life of comfort or that life of, I mean, physically challenging, even though spiritually rewarding. And yet she said yes. It's intriguing because I think about in my own life how how easy it is for me to say yes at salvation. Jesus, I'll give you everything and then stop listening to his voice for future yeses. Like in other words, she had already said yes to Jesus before she was 18. She had already given her life to Jesus. And yet Jesus began to give her this vision and she had to do this second big yes. 
And I was reading about Ananias and I was thinking about this yes, Lord, that comes out in Acts chapter nine. Because this is a big yes. So he's listening. He's a disciple. And Jesus comes to him. He's already said yes to Jesus. Ananias, he's already a disciple. And Jesus shows up and he's listening and he gives him this yes. And on the other side of Ananias's yes was Saul, who's praying. And he receives the ministry necessary in order to go fulfill his calling. And I was just thinking about you and I and our temptation to say yes once, maybe twice. But what would happen if we tried to be so (laughs) open, so listening that we didn't just have one mission. We didn't just have one time that we said yes, but our life was a sequence of yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'll go where you're calling. I'll be listening so that I can actually hear so that if there is more that you have called me to do as a disciple, I actually hear it. And many times we don't even hear Jesus to say yes. We've got so much on our mind and we've got so much flooding our heart, attention, that we're not even familiar enough to his voice. We're not even close enough to even catch the command, catch the Ananias. But the same way that the Jesus says Ananias today, he'll say your first name to get your attention. Same thing we read about Samuel. It's that response that we see through the scriptures that here I am, or in the NIV, yes, Lord, that open, willing, I'm listening, my heart is open, and I'm already surrendered. My, I am a disciple. I have decided to follow Jesus, so I'm waiting, and I'm ready for the next mission. I mean, if it's like Mission Impossible, give me the next one. I've got one life to give all. And so I'm opening up my heart and my mind and, and, and I want to hear your voice. And how many of us don't hear the next mission, the next yes, because we're not even listening because our heart's so cluttered with so many things. But hearing God is not a problem with God talking. It's a problem with us listening. And God is speaking and Jesus wants you to hear him And the way that you become familiar to his voice is if you just be with him. When we're with him much, we can hear him much. When we're with him much, then we can recognize his voice. We can recognize that he speaks to us. My temptation is to believe, surely he's speaking to somebody other than me. Surely God is talking, but he just doesn't talk to me. And it's easy to kind of start to think, oh God, you've got something for somebody else, but you don't have anything for me. But I want to invite you just to think about Jesus And he wants to speak to you. And on the other side of your yes, the other side of you saying, yes, Lord, there's actually someone like a Paul who's praying, who needs your yes. And their calling, destiny is impacted by your yes. I was just thinking about who are the people that their yes impacted your life? Like if you were to think about the people that went out of their way, listened to God, and then did something that was out of their comfort zone in order to help you walk in your destiny, walk in your calling. When I was 16, uh, there was a extremely old man that was a friend of mine. He was 23. And I thought he was so old, you know, at 16. And, and he wrote me this letter. I got it, paper mail. I'll explain what that is later, but in the mail. And... 
And, and, and honestly, it was about three pages. I'm 16 years old, braces, mullet, what's up, high school. And I got this letter and I don't remember the full contents of what, I remember there's Bible verses, I remember it was encouraging, but I remember that my name on the envelope, he didn't write my first and last name. He just wrote, Zealous David. And I remember just being 16 and going, yeah. I looked it up. What does that mean? Zealous, you know? But I, I just remember, I, I remember it marking me. I remember, I, and, and I was just thinking how cool, because I, I, I know what it did in me. I know the deposit. I, I just remember, I remember when I got it and it gave me ideas. So I was like, oh, this is, this is who I'm zealous. This is yeah, Jesus, I want to give my yeah, zeal for God. Yeah, and I started to connect with it. When I was in college, I was in my senior year, and my uh, grandfather, who was about 80, uh, was coming to the end of his life, and he was so weak that he couldn't write letters, but he would send tapes. And so, I'm, again, I'm mentioning a means of communication that some of you don't know what it is, but I, I received a tape in my senior year of college from my grandfather, and on the tape, he was a preacher and he told me stories about, A, I remember he talked about, you know, his height, which was encouraging. But B, he talked about, he said, that he, he talked about his uh, being a, a, a pastor and serving people and loving people. And I just remember driving in my 1991 Red Ford Mustang around Oklahoma City, listening to a cassette, hearing and, and it putting courage and strength and vision. And I remember as I was kind of making life choices that year about what I was gonna do with my life, just the strength. And on the other side of his yes, instead of just watching TV in his late 80s, he went ahead and was trying to think of who he could invest in. And it was probably not that comfortable. And sometimes when I read Paul stepping on the scene and and, and, and Paul seems larger than life and Paul's so eloquent and Paul writes so well and Paul's so intelligent and Paul did so much and Paul had Jesus appear to him in Acts 26. Paul describes that moment in Acts 9 where that Jesus appeared to him brighter than the sun and that he literally was filled with bright lights. So bright light, audible voice, brighter than the sun. And I was just thinking about how Paul has his life radically impacted and changed by a guy who just says yes to leave his house, go to Judas's house on Straight Street and just minister. And I was just thinking about us in the middle of COVID-19. I was just thinking about the temptation to just in, kind of like endure it, think about me, how am I gonna survive? What would it look like for us to just be so open that maybe it doesn't necessarily feel like we have big open visions where Jesus appears to us brighter than the sun. Maybe we don't have audible voices, but what we do have is just a, a yes. Yes, Lord, your servant. I'm listening. I'm a disciple. I want to hear. Let me hear what you have to say to me. I'm open. And what would happen if we increased our expectation that God would speak to us? Sometimes we think, oh, he only speaks to the Saul's. He only speaks to the people with big destinies, big callings. Yet I love the beauty of this kind of hidden, kind of unseen, just shows up, 
boom, makes a big statement by obeying God, steps off the pages of Acts, and yet it makes an impact in the entire world because of who Paul becomes. And so just starting to say, God, open up my ears so that I can hear every, every little yes, every little task. What's, what's my next yes? What's, what's, like I didn't, just, I didn't just give my life to Jesus once and say yes, but every day I got a yes. And you've got this, this idea of a man who's fairly hidden, at least compared to Saul, and I just think that if we'll get close, we'll hear, we'll hear his voice and he'll say your name and you'll recognize it. And if, you'll, if we'll get closer, we'll hear more often. And familiarity with his voice helps us hear his voice. A lot of times we're not familiar because we're not close, but if we'd be close, we'd hear more. And easy for us to think that he speaks to other people, but he doesn't speak to me. And so we decrease our expectation. But what would happen if you increased your expectation? A.W. Tozer says, the one who does not expect that God will speak will discount every time when God does speak. So if we increase our expectation and try to get close, it's quite probable that we would often hear him say our name, just like he said, Ananias. Then we'll hear your name. He'll speak your name. Probably a whisper. In my journey, I've never had the, the big moments of brighter than the sun, but I've had plenty of moments of David where you're just quiet enough, close enough, familiar enough to recognize it. And as you spend time with Jesus, you start to recognize his voice more often. I have four kids and all I need from them, uh, if they were to call me on my cell phone, all from the same cell phone and each one take a turn saying, hi, I could tell you each one. Dawson's pretty easy because he's like, hi, but <laughs> I, I know their voices. I, I could recognize. But if that were you and you took my cell phone and they called, you, you might not be able to go, uh, which one's which. Or if I were to pick up your phone and do the same thing, I couldn't recognize your closest family members or friends, but you could. Why? Time with. So Time with. Just familiarity. So you're becoming familiar with something. You're becoming familiar with some relationships. What happens if we just seek to make this relationship the one we're most familiar with so that that's the voice we don't miss? That's the voice that we can't live without. That's the voice that we're eager to hear. And I think sometimes when it comes to prayer right now, it's easy for us, even in COVID season, to go, oh, I have more on my plate than normal and things are more stressful than normal. So I'm gonna push prayer out because it's a box that I, I don't feel like I have time to check in the season. But I want to invite you to, instead of seeing prayer as a box that you check, to see it as a means to peace. Because that's the way that Paul talks. He talks about that relationship with God, not as a box that you check, but as a delight, as a means, a way, an avenue, a connection, a road to peace. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. So if you make listening a priority, you'll be able to hear his voice more because he is speaking. In fact, even when the father speaks about the son at the Mount of Transfiguration, like we all know the baptism event, this is my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased. 
But there's this great moment where we get this little phrase in the Mount of Transfiguration where the Father speaks over the Son, and it's about listening to Jesus. Matthew 17, 1 through 5, it says, uh, uh, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And in Matthew 17, we get on the Mount of Transfiguration, Father speaking about the son. He says, listen to him. Maybe we do well to take audible voice from God and listen. What is Jesus saying? Like, what's he saying to you? Not the obligatory box that I have to check. Oh, I got to do the prayer gig. Instead, like, oh, no, no, there's a means to greater peace that surpasses understanding. My my tasks on my iPhone have loaded up the software of all the things I got to get done, the calls I got to return. I, I, I got a lot on my plate. But instead of saying, I don't have time to pray today, God, I'm going to come before you. Here I am. I'm your servant. And you start to hear him speak. I just want that hunger to grow in us. A couple more verses. David says it this way in Psalm 28. Don't turn a deaf ear when I call you, God. If all I get from you is deafening silence, I'd be better off in the black hole. Message version. But just take that in the message version and just see David's level of desperation. Ah, I'd be better off in the black hole. Why? I want to hear God. Proverbs 3 says in the message this way, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. (laughs) We can just stop right there because that's what we all try to do. Listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. So here's Ananias. He's listening and he just gets Ananias. And you'll get, put your name right there. Says your name. And then this is the, to me, it's the funny part. Because then he gets a difficult command from Jesus. So first he gets a call from Jesus and he gets this command from Jesus. And this command is challenging. And almost every time that Jesus tells you something to do, it's almost always challenging. Like very rarely does he say, hey, David, live it up. Life's easy. Don't forgive your enemies. Chill out. You can, you can slander that guy and uh, waste your money, you know, eating more burgers. You know, like, like usually when I hear his voice, it's about forgiving somebody who's hurt me. It's about taking a risk that's another risk. It's usually, it's, it's often a command that's pulling me out of my comfort zone, not putting me into a comfort zone. And that's what happens here with Ananias because he looks at him and, and he tells him to go to Saul and look at Ananias' response. Ananias kind of does the, Jesus, are you sure? <laughs> like, can we just talk about this for a minute? Ananias talks back to him for a second here and he goes, and by the way, I read Bible commentators that were like saying, this is Ananias' unbelief. I don't believe that. I, I like, I just, I don't read that. I see Ananias as a friend that is not like lacking in faith right here. I think he's just like, this is a potential martyr command from Christ. I just want to make sure I got this right. <laughs> make sure I'm hearing this correctly because this is a death sentence, Right? So he says, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about the man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. He's just going, this could be violent. This, I could get arrested. And I just think he's like, did I hear you right? And what's funny is you don't get like a sweet, 
kind of pep talk, like, you know, like, go get him, tiger. You can do it. You just get Jesus saying, go. You get Ananias saying, did I hear you right? And Jesus says the same thing, go. You're like, all right. And that's often how he talks. <laughs> okay, just do what I say, right? Just like parents, we're like, just, I haven't changed. Just obey. Yeah, and then uh, just go. I said what I said. Do what I said. Just go. And so Ananias then steps out and he goes and he faces what certainly would be uh, uh, for him a step of faith of risking his life. At, at minimum, risking going to prison, being arrested. And this is often the way it is for us when we say yes. So we're listening and then we're given a task, a yes. And you know, often that yes is so uncomfortable, but the people whose lives are transformed on the other side of your yes. So Paul's ministry was impacted by Ananias' ministry, but it required Ananias' lack of comfort. It required Ananias saying, okay. Jim Cimbala is the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle and he tells a story about on an Easter Sunday after he finished the last sermon, he went and he sat on the stage and a man who was homeless began walking toward him. And he tells the story about his disappointment that he just wanted to go home. And this homeless man began to walk toward him and how he just felt like, I'm too tired. I don't want this. And the man walked up to him and Cymbala uh, reached in his pocket to try to pull out money because he, in Brooklyn, often has homeless people asking for money. And so he reached in his pocket to see if he had any cash. And he found a few dollars, reached it out, went to hand it to the man, and the man looked at him and said, I'm not here for your money. I don't want your money. I do want the Jesus you were talking about today. And so Simbola tells the story of reaching out and hugging this man who smelled so badly, who had lived in his car for six years and had all the smells of not showering or bathing in a long time. And he tells the story that as he began to hug this man who smelled so badly and tell him about Jesus, that the Holy Spirit whispered to him, this is what the world smells like that I died for. And the idea is that as you embrace the world, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's not easy. In this case, he didn't smell very good. But this man gave his life to Jesus He'd been living in his car, missing six teeth, and over time began a discipleship process, began saying yes, and then ended up becoming a pastor on Jim Cimbala's staff. Became a man that just needed Jim to go out of his comfort zone and give, here's my next yes. Our lives as disciples are not one yes. It's yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, I obey. Yes, I obey. Yes, I obey. And there's somebody that receives ministry on the other side of your yes. There's somebody that whether it's the first time they've heard the gospel or just a time that they experience encouragement and life like never before on the other side of your yes. And so this story about Rachel Saint is that she didn't just go alone, but she began to mobilize people. 
and her younger brother, who was a pilot, Nate Saint, began to be a part of the work down in Ecuador. And they began to drop goods for these people that had never heard the gospel. And, and guys like Jim Elliott, who had been at Wheaton, influential. I mean, people that had trained to be missionaries began a long process of intentionally trying to reach this people group so that they could come to know Jesus. And it's one of the most famous missionary stories because when Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and these men flew a plane, landed with the goal of connecting with these people for the first time after they'd dropped gifts and they thought that that they had given enough that that the people would receive them, they speared them and killed them. And I was just thinking about if you're the wives of these four men at that point. Like, just imagine with me, you've given your life to Jesus and you said, yes, I'll follow. And then you say, I'll leave the comforts of the United States and I'll move to Ecuador and I'll take the gospel. That's a big yes. So they gave another yes. With the vision of the people in the tribe to be saved, be the beneficiaries of the ministry. But then, not only that, but then your husband goes, is killed, martyred. They have young children. Now you're a widow, young kids. Surely that's the point where you go, I'm I'm gonna, I'm, 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 I'm out of here. I'm going back to the States. Jesus, you didn't come through for me. Uh, I can't give another yes. I've given you more yeses than I'm willing. I, I, don't, I don't have another yes in me. But these ladies did the opposite. These ladies figured out that this tribe wouldn't see ladies as a threat. And so they went and just like their husbands, they approached the tribe. And then they went and they lived among them with their children. And then they began leading this tribe to Jesus and they finished the work that their husband started. That's a big yes. And so Rachel's yes led to more young men's yeses and wives' yeses and then and it, here's the reality. Your yes doesn't just impact you. Right? <laughs> Man, your yes, it can just spark more yeses. So, so you're a disciple, so you're saying yes. But then other people get a revelation of Jesus. And other people go, yeah, this is really, he really is worth it. And just like that moment, we're on the other side of Ananias's yes. Yes, Lord. He goes, and Paul has scales from his eyes, fall from his eyes. He can see again. He's baptized and ministry takes place on the other side of Ananias's obedience. Yes, Lord, I can hear. I'll obey. And there's kingdom fruit on the other side over and over and over again. And I was just thinking about the reality 
of Ananias baptizing Paul or being there. In the text, you're not quite sure if he was just there or if he actually did it, but he's there. He's part of it. I was just thinking about like how cool that is. It wasn't Peter, Acts chapter two. Wasn't John, head on the chest, close to Jesus. He's on the island of Patmos somewhere, eventually. It's an unknown short guy that shows up out of nowhere that gets to baptize Paul. Just a hidden hero, just gives a yes. So last Sunday, we did baptisms, right? And so the way we do baptisms here is, is we have people that when I'm, I get in the tank with them and then we have a pastor that gets in the tank and then we invite someone else who's impacted their life to just get in with them. So often it's Dylan who's making a difference with our teenagers. Sometimes it's a parent if it's a child. Sometimes it's been a friend who helped lead that person to Christ. But I was just thinking about the, that idea of Ananias getting to be there and baptize Saul becomes Paul. I was thinking about last week. I just wanna place an idea in your brain. What if when Jesus says, like to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptize them. What if you saw yourself as like, hey, I got a vision to get in that tank with one of these pastors, with somebody that's on the other side of my yes. We'd love to have you. Just, just act, I mean, it'd be kind of cool. Like I'd never thought about that, but I heard about two years ago, I, had, I heard Francis Chan say that. He was like, you know, Jesus told us to go in the world and make disciples and baptize them. How many people have you baptized? And I thought, huh, yeah. What if we all had like a vision where we baptize some people? That's awesome. What would happen if you just got in the tank? Like, yeah, I got a vision. And right now they just seem like way out there. Just so far but a series of yeses, you say yes. My guess is that we'll see him come into the kingdom. Will you bow your heads with me and let's just pray for a great harvest in our city. Actually, would you just say their name? Just whisper, just, just as an intercessor, just bring someone to God. Just somebody that honestly you think of them and you go, it's like, Ananias praying for Saul. You gotta be kidding me. No chance. Pray for that person. It's pretty cool that Jesus saves the man persecuting the church. There's no one too far. There's no pit too deep. No sin that he cannot save them. Jesus still saves Saul's still is looking for some Ananiases. And Father, we as a church, we just lift these up to you and we ask in Jesus' name, use us to be your hands and your feet in our city, in our time, in 2020. We give you our lives. If today you're that Saul, you're living for yourself and you wanna just turn and give your life to Jesus, Maybe Jesus right now is making himself real to you like he revealed himself on the Damascus road. 
to Saul and you just wanna give your life to Jesus, I wanna invite you just, just say, yes, Lord, here I am. I'm yours. I give you my life. Save me. I give you my first yes. I'm yours. Let me spend eternity with you. Be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, we wanna help you on your journey as you follow Jesus. I'd encourage you just to email us at yes at radiantchurchkc.com. We wanna help you on your journey.